Hello and welcome to the BNP Paribas Markets 360 podcast. We cover the topics that matter from the global economy to market strategy. Hello, I'm Trevor Allen, Head of Sustainability Research at Markets 360. And I'm joined today by Sumati Semivoy-Jane, Sustainability Analyst on my team. It's Monday morning here in London, 17th of October, 2022. Today, we want to come back on the theme of biodiversity as a follow-up from our 16th of September podcast, but from a slightly different angle. We concluded then that a huge investment gap exists and that natural capital risks now rest on the priority list of the regulators and policymakers around the world. While the investment case is evident for governments, it is really up to corporates to respond early to changing policies and regulations and to take advantage of tech improvements and data availability. A lagged reaction function from corporates is dangerous and could come at a hefty cost. In that context, our question today is, does the equity market offer investment opportunities in that space? Or said differently, how can an investor that essentially invests in liquid stocks contribute to biodiversity? Of course, this does not come without its difficulties, else we would see biodiversity-themed investments already developed, but we accepted the challenge. The two main hurdles we initially faced were being impactful in a space where local expertise is essential and where results might take some time to appear. Biodiversity, secondly, doesn't have one all-encompassing variable like carbon emissions. Looking for companies with more mature, friendly processes requires a more tailored approach. So, Sumati, let's break down the first hurdle. How can we address the long-term horizon that is often part and parcel with changing traditional business activities and adding more regenerative practices? On the first point, we cannot claim that the equity market offers direct exposure to the local communities most impacted by nature loss and to the scientists, engineers working hard to carry out great work on the ground. Nonetheless, given global trade and the way supply chains are constructed, a lot of companies and investor portfolios are directly exposed through their sourcing of raw materials and can help propel local initiative through funding and support, for example. So this is where we can come in, by doing our homework on what choices companies have made and how they're trying to reduce the pressures they exert on nature. So on our methodology, instead of focusing on data points or ESG ratings, we decided to focus on business models and revenue streams. We looked at the flow of natural resources, i.e. how corporates source, manage, monitor, and recycle them. Indeed, with biodiversity, we cannot just look at output numbers such as carbon emission trends, but how the whole value chain is made more nature-friendly. Some tools are being developed to try to capture all environmental pressures that a corporate exerts. An example is the work done by Iceberg Data Labs, where they model corporate value chain impacts through land use, pollution, emissions, etc., and then summarize the results for their clients under one aggregate result. By focusing on business models, it allowed us to also identify companies which might not have the best MSCI environmental scores, but that we label as enablers, providing solutions for change through their end products. 
An example is hydroponics. So growing indoors agricultural products using no pesticides and much less water. Yet they tend to receive quite poor MSCI ratings at the moment, probably given that they are quite energy intensive. But getting early exposure can be good as, it, as they gain scale and efficiency improvements are made. This also provides an opportunity that we might not get in use of proceed bonds, for example. In corporate green bonds, most of the proceeds have gone towards energy and energy efficiency because the economic case is clear for renewable energy projects with clear timelines for delivery. Early identification of companies that are leading change, again throughout their business choices, is perhaps the best way to contribute to biodiversity in markets and supporting them in their efforts by buying their shares or via any of their bonds. Yes, hydroponics can sometimes be a bit controversial, often deemed as not really scalable enough to ensure food security, nor scalable enough to really help feed our growing world population. But at the same time, we think they can be useful for improving the nutrition of certain foods and also as a way to help adapt to extreme temperatures that parts of the world suffer from. On top of the benefits you mentioned, they can also improve yield predictability and really help reduce food transportation emissions and waste. And above all, it enables further R&D and tech improvements to go into the food industry and to find solutions early on. Hence why we remain bullish on that area. And yet another controversial area is the fertilizers industry. Here, excessive use of fertilizers can really lead to an increase in nitrous oxide emissions and mineral content in the water, which essentially creates dead zones. Nonetheless, we cannot turn away from fertilizers either, as we face a growing population and limited availability of fertile land. But the way fertilizers are made and applied can be drastically optimized. Here are two such ideas. First, Fertilizer producers can aim to reduce their production-related emissions by switching to renewable energy. And second, companies that provide precision farming techniques, such as the manufacturers of autonomous tractors, can really help to more precisely identify the exact amount of fertilizer that is needed. These are two examples that sit on different parts of the value chain. That is also where we make the distinction between enablers and leaders. Here, in our framework, leaders really try to reduce the, their harm and are early adopters of change, while enablers provide the solutions to really help the leaders move forward. Yes, and actually going the extra mile and gaining exposure to enablers, i.e. the providers of solutions, as you put it, allows us to widen the sectors we can, can invest in around biodiversity. In an exercise you run to identify biodiversity-friendly companies, while more than 50% of our included leaders came from the food sector, only 11% of our included enablers came from the food industry. Instead, some came from materials or industrials or information technology sectors, such as companies developing geospatial softwares to monitor nature. Precision agriculture is definitely gaining good traction and now deemed essential to meet the next leg of crop yields improvements and reduce the use of harmful substances. And under the EU's CAP policies, farmers will receive support to improve their practices. 
Enablers can also be biotech companies that develop biologicals to reduce pesticide use, currently only occupying 5% of global pesticide market. And it has clear opportunity for growth. It's really about finding ways to optimize nitrogen levels in the roots of crops. Or it could be ingredient companies that help enhance the taste and nutrition value of plant-based food, or try to replace harmful ingredients in cosmetics. There's also a growing market for harnessing the power of enzymes to replace petrochemicals, and not just for cultured ingredients, but also to develop better animal feeds or even increase the recyclability of plastic and reduce food waste. And while we're talking about widening exposure to beyond the food sector, a clear way to reduce biodiversity loss is clearly by promoting a circular economy, a theme applicable to all industries these days. Waste can be recycled and transformed into new products, reducing the need to extract natural resources and potentially creating new revenue streams as opposed to additional costs. So looking for companies that either provide alternative packaging solutions or recycling services are essential. It can also be identifying materials or construction companies that use alternative eco-friendly materials or even a retail company that uses sustainable materials for apparel. I could go on and on with examples. You're absolutely right. So essentially, it's really about picking smartly the sectors which are nature intensive and then decomposing their supply chains and seeing what can really be improved one step at a time. But it can also now extend to companies that offer alternatives to traditional products. And here I'm really thinking of creating fuel from waste, for example. And this really helps to replace biofuels that are made from crops that are potentially could be competing with the food supply chains. The challenge is, of course, really to source and coordinate enough waste to really be able to scale a product like that. And that's really going to call for more collaboration between companies. Yes, we definitely need more initiatives in that regard. And ones that the food and forestry giants adopt and are aware of. For example, in the forest product sector, uh, we would ensure they've put in place the right biodiversity management standards to have a net positive impact on the forests they manage. This can be done through remote sensing and by leveraging on the power of tech, for example. In food leaders, we would look, for example, for commitments to regenerative agriculture and support for local farmers, or it could be um, you know, lower use of antibiotics uh, for animals, um, but also you know, how advanced they are in promoting plant-based foods and what kind of commitments do they have for the years to come in, um, in sales so of those plant-based food. So, Sumati, it seems the main conclusion here is that we need investors to be more aware of what the companies they've invested in are actually doing and the choices that those companies are making. And it can be a matter of really gearing your portfolio away from laggards and into leaders and adding more exposure to enablers. A simple example is to possibly switch away from beef and into more quality poultry producers. And if plant-based stocks seem a bit crowded, you can instead go into biotech companies that are developing solutions for plant-based food producers to enhance their taste and nutritional value. We need to think in terms of supply chains and be a bit more creative in the way we approach biodiversity investment. Now, of course, in equities, we remain restricted to what is liquid and listed. 
There is a plethora of small-scale businesses doing a lot for biodiversity out there. And all the blended finance restoration projects across the world would take another episode to explore. So while here we have first focus on developed markets and public listed equities, the next step is to go global to find companies in emerging markets and support their efforts closer to home as emerging countries do carry the biodiversity hotspots of the world. Yes, indeed, a very encouraging step forward for investments into the biodiversity space. But it does seem that we have a lot of work to get done and other areas of finance to really start to explore. Thank you, Samadhi, for joining me today. And thank you again for listening to the Markets 360 podcast. This communication does not constitute research, a recommendation or any form of advice from BNP Paribas or its affiliates. It does not consider your financial circumstances or objectives, and it may not be suitable for you. It should not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part.